Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Oxygen. The music of John Williams. This is Red 5, I'm going in. Like Star Wars itself, the music in the film defied conventional wisdom. At a time when disco was burning up the charts, having a traditional symphonic soundtrack was another huge risk on Lucas's part. He really understood the genre that I was talking about. It's a group of composers that weren't that well looked upon in the 70s. There was a different attitude toward the old-fashioned symphonic and the scores. And I had a lot of music in the movie. Hey, Star Wars fans, Jimmy Mack here with you. And welcome to Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams. That's right, this is uh, Rebel Force Radio's monthly look at the work of the maestro in all six films of the Star Wars saga. Joining us, as always, is video game sound designer and musician in his own right, Mr. David Collins. Hey, Jimmy Mack and Star Wars and music aficionados. Really glad to be back here for the second installment of Star Wars Oxygen. Seems like a great way to end 2013, talking about what we all love, which is Star Wars, and particularly particularly the music of Star Wars and how it helped shape that film and, of course, the saga that followed that we are all still following to this day. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I look forward to digging deep into some of this great music. Of course, we call the show Star Wars Oxygen. That's a term of endearment that Paul Bateman came up for the the musical soundtracks to the Star Wars saga, specifically the music of John Williams. He says it adds the oxygen to the saga, and I cannot disagree with that at all. That's a, such a, a great statement, and that's why I thought it would make a great name for this show. Absolutely, and another way of framing it is something that George Lucas said himself, which is something that I mentioned in the previous episode, that these movies were designed to be what he called silent movies, which is kind of another way of saying that they're musically driven, that everything about these movies, uh, the, the tempo of the editing, the drama, what the characters are feeling, particularly the more outlandish the characters were, uh, the more important the music became to inform us, the audience, what we were supposed to be thinking and feeling at this time in terms of what was going on in the story. And the last time we were on Star Wars Oxygen, we were talking about this. We were talking about the early influences and the approach that the film editors and George Lucas took to the film and, uh, and their process of putting it all together when it was in post-production and how that very much included cutting in pieces of classical music. Of course, we played a lot of different pieces of classical music last time uh, in order to talk about the influences and also to give a historical perspective on pieces of music that were actually cut into Star Wars at one point. When we played Ivanhoe and when we played uh, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, those pieces of music were actually a piece of Star Wars at one point before John Williams was able to get a hold of it. And um, we also talked about the creation of the score, how after New Year's Eve 1977, he had about two months. John Williams had about two months to write this score. And um, an interesting thing about John Williams is that he... He actually uh, was working in, in a time before computers, and a lot of uh, composers right now use uh, synthesizers and things like that in order to mock up things and put it against picture. But John Williams wrote this with pencil and sheet, you know, uh, uh, score paper, and handed it to his orchestrator, and they recorded it in March of 77, just two months before the movie made its debut. Actually, less than two months, because there were screenings as early as May 1st 
and uh, it came together beautifully. And and uh, the results, well, we're still talking about them right now, Jimmy Mack. <laughs> yeah. So, but Williams would actually sit down at the piano as he was working out these arrangements. Correct? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And uh, he he was he had, he had a grand piano, and he just was working in his home and. And uh, he would be doodling notes on uh, score paper and just kind of playing out ideas on on the piano, you know, and just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of saying, uh, what, you know, oh, I think she'd go like this. And then he'd take a note and just kind of scribble it down and then, you know, and then just kind of scribble down the next little bit, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, and that, and then he would kind of fill in the chords and the harmonies and hand it to his orchestrator. And then, but the first time he was able to hear it, which is very different than how composers work today, they're able to kind of hear it with MIDI samples and, and you know, you can call up strings and horns and woodwinds on the computer. It doesn't sound nearly as good, but you can hear these things now um, and get a better idea for what it sounds like. John Williams didn't hear what was in his head until the day he showed up and the first downbeat of the first recording happened um, at Anvil Studios in England in March of 77. Right. Yeah. How would he know? It's not like he had the the pocket orchestra with him at all times. Exactly. That's exactly right. And actually, in recent interviews that I found in researching the show, he still works that way to this day. He says he has composers that comes over to his place and they, they see his studio and they see this giant uh, workbench with uh, big uh, you know uh, sheets of score paper and pencil and a grand piano. And they say, well, where's the computer? And, uh, you know, he just, he's a self-admitted Luddite when it comes to technology, although he said he finally has a cell phone. I'll have to get a clip of that for future shows. But, um, yeah, still works the old-fashioned way and, of course, gets some of the most famous results of uh, 20th century film music. How about it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, you conjure up these images of William sitting at home playing his grand piano, and it just makes me sort of wish we had a John Williams piano record album, you know, where he was actually sitting there playing the music from Star Wars just solo on a piano. That would be amazing. And I do know that he studied piano at Juilliard um, and was a and, and is quite a pianist and uh, and plays quite a bit in, in concert, you know, especially in his years with the Boston Pops. Um, there is a really cool record, by the way, if people want to look it up. There's a there's a record called Sketches on Star Wars, and I have a physical CD of it, but I haven't been able to find it digitally. But um, there was an artist that uh, that put out sort of jazz piano versions of these songs. I should send it to you, Jimmy, because it's yes. it's incredible, and it's just it's just grand piano, upright bass, and drums, and it's like this little. I think there's saxophone on one track, but it's just this little jazzy arrangement of all these tunes, and it's so good. Um, but it's really nice. They they play really well on piano, you know. Absolutely, they do. And by the way, we just heard you tickling the ivories right there. I want right. everyone to know that was not a recording. That's actually you, David Collins, sitting there with a with a with a keyboard right in front of you. That's right. Yeah, I just have uh, I just have a little keyboard in front of me here, just to kind of play some of these little things. I'm a, I'm a terrible, terrible piano player, but uh, at least able to kind of chord my way through things when I, you know, going through music school, you have to play piano and um, just kind of use it for writing music and things. But I uh, thought it would be fun to just talk about uh, a couple of things as we get through the scores. Speaking of which, we were talking about the original Star Wars and we um, we have quite a bit still to cover. And and uh, I'd love to talk a little bit more about temp scores before we get into the actual Williams themes, uh, which we'll play quite a bit of in this episode and really dig into the heart of what we all know and love about the Star Wars soundtrack. 
Well, let's do it. Let's strap on the mask, turn the tank up all the way, our oxygen tank, and let's breathe in some of this music from Star Wars A New Hope. Let's do it, yeah. Let's pick up where we left off last week, or last month, I should say. Right. And uh, and uh, just let's take it from there. Sure. So we we were talking about temp scores, and um, the editors, Paul Hirsch, Richard Chu, and uh, Marsha Lucas, who was uh, married to George Lucas at the time, they were the film editors on Star Wars, and they were cutting in temp music that George was picking out uh, with these old vinyl records that he had. Uh, we played some Stravinsky. We played some Gustav Holst. We played... Uh, a couple of things. I wanted to play one more for you before we got into what John Williams did with all this information. But there's one more that I wanted to play for you, and uh, I want to start off with a quote actually from Ben Burt, sound designer Ben Burt. Uh, this is a quote again from um, Jonathan Rinsler's uh, book, The Making of Star Wars, uh, which was originally published in 2007, I believe. Yes, 2007 on the 30th anniversary of Star Wars. And Ben says that George had listened to a lot of records and done a lot of research and picked and people had given him records. He picked out some material from Dvorak's New World Symphony for the end sequence of the Great Hall and the awards. Of course, the awards ceremony at the end of the movie. We slowly built up temporary music tracks and mixed them in with the film. So we had a temporary version of the film with an essentially complete sound effects track and patchwork music track that highlighted various moments in the picture. And at that point, that's when John Williams is brought in. So here is yet another piece that Williams was played, um, and this was played during the end uh, throne room sequence, the awards ceremony at the very end of the film, and you can hear the influence of what he eventually ended up writing himself. But this is Dvorak's, uh, uh, an excerpt from Dvorak's New World Symphony. Check it out. So there it is. The New World Symphony from Dvorak was cut over the main throne room sequence. Um, and what's interesting about that, of course, the melody is totally different, but you still have that great, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, those big old, those big hits, bum, 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 ba, da, dum, which eventually kind of uh, translated into the throne room piece, you know, the bum, 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 you know. So the orchestration and a lot of the, the feeling of it, um, remain the same, you know, um, and, uh, you know, just change the melody a little bit, and we'll get into that piece a little bit later. And not to stir up controversy, but I actually edited that clip down. The original clip actually starts out in a way that I think that fans of John Williams will think is very funny. I'm going to play the same clip again, Jimmy Mac, but I'm going to play it, and I'm just going to back up the record just like 30 seconds or so, and just play this for you. And uh, you tell me what this reminds you of. Okay. (laughs) And so on and so forth. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't even have to guess. I mean, yeah. everyone <laughs> guessing the same thing with me. We all know that that is an influence on the iconic music from Jaws. Yes, exactly. And I and I there is no record that says you know historical proof that oh well you know that motive, which is of course just uh, it's just two notes, right? But that's I, I mean there's no record that says that that's where he got the Jaws theme from. But I just thought that that was hilarious when I first looked that up after hearing Ben Burt's quote, and it starts with that two-note motif like that. Uh, so funny. So that's Symphony Number no. 9 from The New World. And if we uh, continue to listen, I'm sure we'll be hearing uh, music from Jurassic Park, Superman, right. Close Encounters. <laughs> exactly. Like every, every soundtrack that Williams ever did was all influenced by one classical music piece. Yes. No, that's absurd. No, that's not true at all. No. And in that's fact... We talked about this controversy a little bit earlier, and and I want to emphasize again why we're playing these pieces, uh, just to talk about the creation of Star Wars historically. Um, and it is in no way, in my mind, or I'm sure in yours, Jimmy, that uh, some sort of uh, something to take away from the brilliance that is John Williams. And you know, my personal feeling on it is that. If you if you're to make the claim that John Williams ripped off all of these other composers, I mean, look, obviously we're pay- playing pieces back to back like we did last week, and you can obviously hear that one influenced the other, and I, I think there's no denying that. Um, but to have that lead to the conclusion that that really all he did was just kind of lift all this stuff like it was this easy thing and it was just a, a big ripoff session, I think is is a bit of a sophomoric attitude because it doesn't really get into an understanding of of how artists work and and the task that was at hand. I mean, if you're going to do that, then you have to take issue. If you're going to take issue with that, you have to take issue with all of Star Wars in my mind. Because you have to you have to think about how it 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 takes from Flash Gordon, it takes from Akira Kurosawa. I mean, just go watch a Seven Samurai and realize that those characters are wearing the exact same costume that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and and all of those Jedi are wearing. And then you have to think about Kurosawa. Who did he rip off? You know what I mean? Because he's making a movie about samurai, which are hundreds of years old. You know, and Shakespeare even. You know, Romeo and Juliet is an old Italian uh, folktale about star-crossed lovers. He didn't write the, the main story of Romeo and Juliet. It's how he, how he told the story. It's the way he uses the English language. It's the iambic pentameter. It's it's all of that that makes Shakespeare this lasting uh, cultural icon, English cultural icon, and, and such an important piece of theater history. And the same is true with John Williams. He has a grasp, a very strong grasp, of all of the musical styles that came before him and is able to speak a language with a director and write and bring all of these things together under tremendous time crunch and pressure. And since we played the Dvorak New World Symphony, I want to go ahead and, with that in mind, play the throne room and think about how he brilliantly not only captured Dvorak's, uh, uh, the spirit of what George was going for in that scene, but he weaved his own compositions into it. And after we do this, we're going to talk about those Williams compositions in the next part of the show. But let's check out the throne room cue from Star Wars A New Hope.
there it is, the throne room. Always takes you back to the 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 moment when you'd be leaving the theater as that music was still ringing in your ears and that just feeling of triumph you would have, you know, as uh, as the rebellion had defeated the the Death Star, you know, blown up the Death Star, defeated the Empire, at least for that day. And, uh, you know, the accolades were being handed out and R2 was all put back together. C-3PO was all bright and shiny and Luke was finally out of the shorty robe. And uh, you just yeah, walked out the of that theater. You know, you almost wanted to just... That music makes you want to just pump your fist, you know. Yes, yeah. vic- victory. Yes, and it, it's got uh, this very regal, uh, royal ceremony vibe to it, you know, um, which the Dvorak piece has. It's got this 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 pageantry to it that something grand, grandiose is happening. You know, the way the horns work with those big bass stabs. You know, bomb sh, bomb sh, ba ba bomb. You know, and and uh, and this huge uh, orchestra responding, just like the giant crowd responding in in cheers. You know, and it just just really fits the emotion of that and just drives you out of your seat, you know, into the end credits. And, and uh, you know, John Williams just handled it, handled it brilliantly. Uh, so I want to move on and just talk about John Williams tying it all together um, and just talk about the challenges that he had. Of course, we've played some Stravinsky and some Holst and some Dvorak, and he heard a bunch of other things, too. Um, And uh, what John Williams said the challenge was, here's a John Williams quote. He said, I didn't want to hear a piece of Dvorak over here or a piece of Tchaikovsky over there. What I wanted to hear was something to do with Ben Kenobi more developed here, something to do with his death over there. What we needed were themes of our own, which one could put through all the permutations of a dramatic situation. This was my discussion and my dialogue with George, that I felt we needed our own themes which could be made into a solid dramaturgical clue, glue, excuse me, dramaturgical glue from start to finish. To whatever extent we have succeeded, that is what I tried to do. And this is where, Jimmy, we get into the most hummable, awesome themes that, that John Williams wrote. Um, anyone can just hum a few bars and just knows these themes right off the bat. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, it's just, it's the oxygen at work again. Right. Absolutely. And and so to take those themes, it also gives him something to use in order to put all these different styles together. And the first first thing I want to talk about, and I, I mentioned this briefly in the first show, um, these uh, these motives or motifs, as they call them, which are these just little pieces of melody that instantly tell you um, what what uh, what's going on with a character, you know, a hero character or a location. You just get a little bit and uh, and you you know what it is, you know. Right, you immediately hear that, and you think of Luke Skywalker, for example. Of course, of course. Yeah. And so I want to want to talk about John Williams. You know, as he was writing these themes, um, and the first one we want to talk about, of course, is is Luke's theme. And John Williams said, "Luke's theme is a fanfarish and brassy and bold and masculine and noble theme. All of those things. When this music is done softer." It tends to be done in some sort of brass horns if it is more heraldic. It's the full glow of the glorious brass section of the London Symphony Orchestra, um, this theme. you know. And what's really interesting, Jimmy, just to kind of give people an idea of, you know, a lot of these inter- intervals, right? These are called perfect intervals and, and uh, you know... This, what's really interesting about brass is the history of brass is that those were the only notes that early brass instruments can play. And I think that that's why 
we hear those themes and they sound so heroic and they sound kind of militaristic and marchy, you know. Um, you know, that, that whole thing that, you know, the bugle call in the military, it's because way before there were valves on brass instruments, that's all that those instruments could actually play were those intervals. And so for him to write a melody kind of using those kind of gives it this heroic flair a little bit. You know? Absolutely, it um, does. Yeah. When he mentions that when it's done softer, it tends to be done, you know, in a softer, uh, more heraldic way. It's his way of saying he can repurpose it to make it sound a little, I don't know, a little more gentle or whatever. There's this great, uh, this great uh, cue called the Moisture Farm where this is the first time you see Luke and you actually see, hear that. You heard it in the main fanfare, but then you hear it again in a much different way the first time you meet Luke and he's talking to his, to his aunt, you know. Uh, be sure if you get to Droid, make sure it speaks bocce. So check out the Moisture Farm cue here. Great moment from the film. You know, there's a great example of John Williams taking uh, a theme and being able to do many, many different things with it, right? It's the main theme of the movie that we hear in the opening title crawl, but then it's just, it just sounds so different there. Yeah, it it sounds homey, and it's Luke Skywalker at home. There's an innocence to it, as opposed to when you hear those passages in the main theme, it's much more triumphant and much more... Um, sort of military focused in a way in, in, in which, you know, you said, you know, a lot of those notes were originally designed to be played like on a bugle or something like that. Um, when you hear it played in the main theme, there is something just much more bombastic about it as opposed to when you hear those same notes being played here, there's a, it conveys a sense of innocence. It's played at a different tempo and with the usage of the strings and the horns uh, it's a much more stripped down piece when you compare the same notes being played in the main theme. That's exactly right. I mean, it speaks to his command of how to use an orchestra in order to evoke different emotions. And, um, and those, those are the same notes, bah, 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 right? Same yeah. notes, but just completely different treatment in order to convey a different emotion, a different part. But it's still, you know, in the spirit of a, of a motif, still says, this is Luke Skywalker. Um, this is, we're talking about Luke Skywalker here. Uh, and just like Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia also has her own theme, uh, if you remember. And in fact, what's really interesting about Princess Leia's theme is is you only really hear it laced into the movie here and there. Um, but on the soundtrack album, for those of you that remember, Princess Leia's theme is this, this gorgeous track that he really gives the full treatment to, John Williams. In fact, he has a quote where he says, the princess theme is very romantic. The first time Luke sees her, he says how beautiful she is. It really is a fairy tale princess melody um and uh he actually went on record as saying this was his favorite piece in the first film because it was the most uh lyrical so i want to play you just a little bit of princess leia's theme this is just the beginning of the theme and again you don't really hear this in the in the movie but you you've heard it in you know cut into 
video games and other soundtracks and maybe radio dramas and things, but just check out the beginning of Princess Leia's theme. Here we go. So you don't ever quite hear Princess Leia's theme quite like that. You hear it a little bit when she's a hologram. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. You hear it uh, just kind of laced throughout. You hear it very briefly in her first, very first appearance before she stuns one of the, or shoots one of the stormtroopers and is stunned and captured. You hear just, you know, and then she gets stunned. So you hear that theme throughout but you don't quite hear how John Williams just went for it for the soundtrack album. And I want to play this one more time towards the end because it just builds into this very glorious, beautiful theme. And this, there's a wonderful violin performance at the end. And again, you can only hear this on the soundtrack album. It's not in the film, but it's just awesome. Let's take a look, or excuse me, take a listen to Princess Leia's theme.
Oh, that's such a beautiful piece. I, I don't care who you are or anyone in here. I mean, that is just a gorgeous piece of classical music and just performed brilliantly by the London Symphony Orchestra on that last violin run up to that very, very, very gentle note at the very top. I mean, just very gracious performance. Yeah, gracious and, and very feminine, too. It it, mm-hmm. it fits the princess very well. I have a confession to make to you. You can't see me, but I was actually sitting here conducting as we were listening to that piece. <laughs> I, I just, might have been doing the same thing. <laughs> I just want to say to anyone who might be listening to the show while driving their car, we do not recommend no. conducting while driving. No, no. Yeah, no, wait until you're, wait until, uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, anyway. that, yeah, that has been a public service announcement from Rebel Force Radio and the Ad Council. That's right. No no conducting while driving. It's bad news. But on an bad. airplane, go ahead. You know, just watch those flying elbows. So that's an incredible piece. And, yeah, I guess I never really thought of it. You don't really hear it in the film itself. Um, you know, you you just get little bits and pieces, little excerpts. It, it, it does reoccur again in Empire Strikes Back, probably used in a little bit more of a dramatic fashion. Yes, and, you know, I want to point out something to this. Right, these first two notes, right, which is uh, just a, that's called a major sixth interval there. It You end up hearing it again. Um, it's a princess theme. You eventually hear um, what is it? it? So this interval gets used again as the beginning of Han and Leia's theme. We'll talk about that in Empire Strikes Back. And what's even more interesting is is you end up hearing it again in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just, it becomes like this John Williams romantic signature. Mm-hmm. And He uh, certainly does know how to uh, sort of, you know, manipulate your emotions via musical notes. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. That's what he's an expert at doing. He understands the human element that goes behind the emotional response certain notes put together in a certain way can evoke. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And um, and speaking of which, uh, we, we have, I mean, these, these themes that he just keeps hitting again and again and again in this movie, are just, they're, they seem, they're seemingly endless. And I want to play a big one, probably, arguably, one of the biggest ones next to Luke Skywalker, which is what originally started out as Ben Kenobi's theme, but has kind of been turned into the Force theme. Um, and, uh, you know, we have all these things that are in a major key, right? Uh, major just sounds kind of happy. It's one of the first things you learn in music school. It's just a major chord. Sounds happy, and a minor chord sounds kind of morose or sad. And um, he uses sort of a minor scale for... Right? So we're going to talk about Ben Kenobi's theme and the Force theme, starting with a John Williams quote, which is, I think of Ben's theme as also being the theme of the Jedi Knights, the old Republic that Ben remembers. And I kind of like that he's using a a minor key to just kind of talk about this sad thing that has been squashed. You know, the old Republic has been vanquished. It also overlaps into the area of being the theme for the Force, the good Force that Ben represents. There's a lot of English horn in Ben's theme, which is often heard under dialogue, which is another reason for that instrumentation. Vader's theme is a lot of bassoons and muted trombones. We'll talk about that in a bit. But this uh, this is a heroic theme, even though it's in a minor key, because it kind of has this sort of 
sadness and this memory of, of, of a time-honored tradition. And I want to play uh, a little bit of uh, Ben's theme here, you know, the first time you see uh, Ben Kenobi and just hear what he's talking about here. This is uh, Land Speeder Search, Attack of the Sand People excerpt. Check this out. Pretty cool. Yeah, there it is. Ben Ben Kenobi's theme, also known as the Force theme. What does that uh, What does that evoke for you, Jimmy? Well, obviously, uh, the first time we ever see Kenobi, um, there in the uh, in the uh, the canyon uh, after chasing off the Sand People. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly what happens in the film when we hear that music. That that's what I love about going back and listening to this music is because just hearing it promotes the, that visual imagery in my mind so well. Uh, you almost hear the dialogue being dropped in at certain places, just yeah. in your imagination. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. And another place that it's, that it's played, um, yeah, this is another really great example of Ben Kenobi's theme. And actually, I want to talk a little bit about the history of this moment. One of the greatest moments in the original Star Wars is the binary sunset. Of course. You yeah, know, that, that moment where you feel Luke's angst and his desire to, to, to have his dreams realized and see what's out there, find out who he is, find out more about his father, which is kept from him. And it's interesting that they use Ben Kenobi's force theme over this. But I'm going to play the binary sunset for you and then talk a little bit about the history of, of this moment and what John Williams originally wanted to do for it, which I don't think is as strong. But check this out. the binary sunset cue from the Star Wars soundtrack. One of the most iconic of all the musical cues in any Star Wars film. That's right. That's right. And, and, and it's, it's so iconic and it's funny to think about. It almost didn't exist that way. In fact, the first time he tried it, he had just a completely different cue written. And you can actually find it on that box set that was released about 20 years ago. Uh, the track is called Binary Sunset Alternate. Um, and uh, John Williams said that George asked for Ben's theme to replace it. He asked for Ben's theme there once he heard the original. I had originally scored that scene with Luke's theme, but when he heard the other, he said, could you put Ben's theme in there? He liked it for some reason or other, better for, better for that scene. It's difficult to explain why. It is contemplative and reflective, and it works really very well. I think I have to say in the end, George was very right. Um, I think that's interesting. 
Um, and in fact, so ever, have you ever played the alternate track yeah. while watching the film? I haven't. I haven't, but I've just listened to it. I've got an excerpt here for you, and I don't really hear Luke's theme as much as I hear um, something called DSERA, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit, but not too much because it's kind of a minor point. But this is an alternate take of the binary sunset before Ben Kenobi's or the Force theme was used. Anyway, that is uh, that is the binary sunset alternate from episode. You know, four. it's too ominous. It lacks the optimism and and youthful anticipation that binary sunset provides. It doesn't sound like the beginning of a hero's journey to me as much as it sounds like someone who seems condemned to their fate. I agree. Which, you know, yeah. it could be appropriate for Luke Skywalker, but it doesn't fit the overall vibe of the film as a whole. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny, though? You still hear, I don't hear um, bah, 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 in there at all. So I'm not really sure what John Williams meant by that quote. But I do hear this thing that comes up a little bit in the episode four uh, soundtrack and actually throughout the films, which is part of a Requiem Mass, which is an old church mass, you know, um, uh, you hear requiems all the time, like Mozart had a requiem, Mahler had a requiem. And there's a part of a, ma- a requiem mass called Dies Irae, which is this kind of... Dies Irae, right? Which is Latin for, I think, Day of the Dead or, or something like that. And <laughs> Don't quote me on that, but it's it's this just kind of... Bum, 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 you know, that happens. And, and you actually hear it kind of laced throughout as this kind of requiem. And and the reason I bring it up is because it actually shows up again in a cue that does appear in the film, which is when Luke rushes back to the burning homestead and discovers Aunt Brew and Uncle Owen have been killed. I want to play that for you really quickly. So there he kind of uses that DSRA thing mixed with the binary or mixed with Obi-Wan's theme. But instead of going, you know, he's going, you know, kind of down here. And so you kind of hear these ideas just kind of orchestrated all throughout. So he's still using these little bits and pieces and just doing everything he can to tie the whole thing together. You know, the whole orchestration and arrangement, even if it's just kind of a, a rhythmic pulse, you know, in there over a very familiar theme. That's amazing. Wow, wow. What an incredible look and listen into the music of John Williams from Star Wars A New Hope. We still have a lot of ground left to cover. 
David, uh, coming up next month, we'll continue to talk about Star Wars and New Hope. What can we look forward to? Well, we've covered a lot of the main themes. We've covered a lot of the influences, talked about some of the orchestration. What, we're, what we'll talk about next month are just kind of some of the secondary themes. I want to talk about a little bit about how Darth Vader was represented before the Imperial March that we all know and love. The Death Star, the Sand People, the Cantina Band, the soundtrack. Still have more to cover in terms of Episode Four, And then, of course, we still have a few more movies to get through. Well, that is just so much to look forward to. I can't tell you how much fun I had going through some of this music with you today. And I'm really happy you brought along your piano keyboard. <laughs> Thanks. I'll try not to chunk it too bad in the future, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have to practice a little bit. Uh, but it, it is kind of fun to just be able to pound out a few notes here and just kind of listen to some things really quickly uh, as we're discussing it. But um, love talking about this stuff. And uh, like all of you, I'm continuously fascinated by John Williams' work on Star Wars and the music that we all know and love. That's awesome. Thank you so much, David. Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams, coming to you monthly on the Rebel Force Radio Network feed. Uh, You can uh, join us again next month, or I should say, see you next year. That's right. And everyone listening, have a happy new year and uh, looking forward to much more to come in 2014. Thank you again, David. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm David Collins. And remember... The Force will be with you, always. Always.